these coaches made a ton of adjustments. <laughs> no, you're there. I can just hear your radio. Welcome once again to 31 Thoughts or 31 Car Cast Thoughts. As we're recording this, as Elliot makes his way home, uh, the podcast is always presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. You had a very busy night there, Purple Suit. First of all, that is the favorite suit that Deb Bourbon has ever gifted me with. I loved it. I would wear it to sleep tonight if I was <laughs> if I was not worried the linen would crease. Hey, did you order the uh, Mayweather fight? The Mayweather Logan Paul fight. Like you're a boxing guy, did you order it? No, I I did. I uh, I followed along mainly with uh, on the commentary by uh, by Ariel Helwani. Okay, I was curious to see if you did it. Now, no. I I couldn't watch it obviously because I was working the games, but I would like to say that I predicted was we had some arguments with some buddies, and my prediction was that they were going to go the full eight rounds to set up a rematch. So I've, I'm right on one half of that prediction. Yeah, that they were they went the full eight rounds. Let's see if they do a rematch. Yeah, I don't know if they do rematches when the entire place is booing. The whole the, the whole was place was booing. Yeah. you know it sounds very much like sounds like both guys came. Well, I, first of all, I do appreciate your uh, your pro wrestling framing of all of this, and how you see this great work as just a way to to fleece the rubes not once but twice. <laughs> For this event, but uh, Mayweather does nothing without like he's done what he's done in boxing, right? His pure interest now is financial, yes. So everything he does is about the biggest payday. So I always look at it through that lens what's the biggest payday for Mayweather? Put it this way there was nothing that was really left questioning if you're a fan to order something like this again. I don't think there's a big sort of story arc. That leaves with it a lot of questions that a uh, that a return match needs to be answered. It's it's again. I didn't watch it, but just judging from the commentary online, it sounds like the fight itself was just kind of a dud. As everyone was waiting for Mayweather to to put him out, and it just didn't happen. Unlike the Colorado Vegas series. Okay, well, because Colorado kind of looked like uh, like Logan Paul after a couple of rounds, gasping and wheezing in the corner. As I got to tell you, man. What Vegas has been able to do here, they've come out at a tempo that Colorado can skate with, compete with, but only until a certain point. Man, Vegas kept the tempo up for three periods tonight, Frege. Well, first of all, when they lost game three and Jared Bednar came out and really piled on some of his top players... My reaction was, whoa, tough crowd. Yeah. You win your first six games, you finally lose one, and your coach is coming out and, and ripping some of his guys. And uh, I was saying, wow, like that's big. But obviously Bednar knew what he was doing. He could see it coming. And if you really think about it, Vegas controlled game two. Imagine we look back at that overtime call as the thing that, wins this series for Denver if they win it, say, in six or seven games. Yeah. Whatever. But, you know, I think he saw it. He obviously saw it. The one thing is that Vegas has said they've been much more strict about if we don't have a play at the blue line, we're dumping it in and we're going to get it. And that's one thing that they have done really well. The second thing is they've done a really nice job of disrupting Colorado coming out of their own zone. We showed earlier in at the beginning of this series, Jeff, 
how many times Colorado, the puck would be deep in their own zone or behind even their own net, and less than 10 seconds later, they'd scored. Mm-hmm. And that's not happening anymore. They have slowed them up or disrupted them. And it's not even in a way where I look and see a ton of interference or a ton of missed penalties. They're just either overpowering them or disrupting them or getting in the lanes. They're doing a really good and disciplined job against the Avalanche. You know, I thought Gary Galley brought up a really good point, too, and, and showed some examples of it as well. What Vegas was doing really well uh, on Sunday night was every time Colorado got a zone entry, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Like, okay, sure, they would they would get the zone, but then it would be a turnover, easy exit for Vegas, and we're off to the races the other way. That was a really impressive performance. Now, one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is on the uh, the game-tying goal, the Marcia So goal. The one where he, they thought it was in, and then yes. everybody thought it was in, so they all stopped. But that's the key. Everybody stopped, including the netminder. Yeah. Like, if, if Grubauer keeps, quote-unquote, playing, that probably doesn't go in. Now, whatever happens subsequent to that. But if you go back and watch it again, Grubauer just stops. Like, at a point, he Wasn't thinks it's one. in. as well. We all did, except for Vegas who kept playing as Grubauer just sort of stood there, maybe wondering to himself, well, how long is it going to take to get this thing back to center race for a face-off now that we're all tied up at once? It was just a really bizarre visual, just seeing Grubauer stop playing. He just stopped and stood at the top of his crease as the puck went past him. One team kept its composure. Yeah. The other did. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, the biggest player in the series might right now might be the independent arbitrator. Oh, for the cadre suspension. Shyam Dawes, mm-hmm. who, by the way, was the arbitrator who cut Tom Wilson's suspension from 20 games to 14. And if you, you know, going back, we talked about this last week, but the way that Bettman kind of wrote his own decision in this one, he was kind of prepared for that. Look back at that particular ruling, but they had the Cadre hearing on Friday. You know the ruling's going to come any day now. It's going to be huge. Cadre has two more games. The earliest he can come back, as it stands, is Game 7. You know, that, that could be huge, what the arbitrator decides to do here. Does it not feel as if this series right now boils down to one thing? And that is, whoever wins a game on the road first is winning this series. Well, I would say that, except Colorado doesn't need to do it. They don't need to. You know what I'm getting at. Yes. This is an interesting one. Uh, outshot 35-18 as well. It's a great series. It, you know, you know what, i got to tell you, like, you watch the Colorado-Vegas series, and you watch the Montreal-Winnipeg series, and you almost wonder if they're, if they're playing the same sport. <laughs> well, I mean, one is just played at a super high pace. Like, we'll transition and talk about Montreal-Winnipeg here. Yeah. But, I mean, Montreal is quite brilliantly playing a style that neutralizes all the offensive weapons uh, that the Winnipeg Jets have, and they have many. Uh, But Vegas-Colorado, like, right from the opening puck drop, it's a sprint. Yeah. It is a sprint for both teams. Yeah. Let's get to Winnipeg-Montreal. Habs now lead the series at 3-0. 5-1 is the final score. One thing I want to mention quickly before we get to the game. Man, how good yeah. was it to see Guy Lafleur tonight? Phenomenal. And, you know, he looks really good. He does. We were concerned about his health. 
Yeah, he looks good. He looked really good. He looked tanned. He looked relaxed. All those guys did. You know, like Ool. Like Ool's always been in dynamite shape. When you know, whenever yeah. you see him, he looks chiseled. But you know, those guys they they looked fantastic. You always wondered, particularly because during this time, in general, the people that COVID has taken the most out of is the elderly, right? And these guys are all older guys, and they looked fantastic. I love to see that. Love seeing Yvonne Cornway, Roadrunner. Still, for yeah. me, maybe the best smile in the game. I just love the way that guy. So I don't know what that. It sounds bizarre, but I just love the way that man smiles. It just fills yes. me with joy when I see Yvonne Cornway smile. But but Gila Fleur, the one thing that always, I mean, outside, I mean, the career is phenomenal. I mean, one of the greatest players in the game ever. What I've always admired about Gila Fleur is how honest he's always been. And a lot of teams, most teams, have ambassadors, past players that, you know, the the organization keeps around and it's essentially your job to be that player. Show up at the events, show up at the rink and be that guy and sign the autograph. Yeah, you know, the, the full routine. And it's an ambassador role. And players generally play it as an ambassador. You know, give the team a soft landing. Oh, hey, we'll get them next time. Oh, you know, these guys are working hard. Guy Lafleur has no time for that. Guy Lafleur speaks, has always spoken his mind, whether he's, you know, an, an ambassador for the Montreal Canadiens or not. Do you remember that series against the Rangers? After Montreal bowed out and he came out and he blasted like Pacioretty and Vanek and said at crunch time, these guys quit and they roll up. And I'm just like, this guy's an ambassador for the team. But I thought to myself, like, if I'm a fan, I want to hear Guy Lafleur talking like that. I just think you accept accept people the way they are, right? And I just love it. Like, what are you going to do? Tell Guy Lafleur to be quiet? (laughs) How are you going to win that one locally? You're not. Uh, Montreal wins the game. I got to tell you, so we're doing the car cast, obviously, as everyone can hear. And I'm driving and I've got the window open and there's this car of teenagers next to me. And there's like five of them piled into the car. Yeah. And they're all blasting music and singing and they keep driving next to me. I feel like yelling to them, don't you guys know I'm doing a car cast in here? (laughs) Don't you know who I think I am? I'm Elliot Friedman, damn it. They're like, who's that? I don't know who that is. Let's get out the purple suit on TV. Uh, five to one is the final score. What's your takeaway from uh, from Sunday's Montreal Winnipeg game? So I got a really interesting call on uh, on Saturday morning, which was the off day between games two and three, and uh, it was one of the players on uh, Columbus, and uh, he said to me, "Like, is Dubois hurt?" And I said, "You know, honestly, I don't know, and it's not like they're going to tell us now." And he said to me, there is no other explanation for the way he's playing. And, you know, we all saw what happened with Dubois earlier this year when he wanted to be traded and, yep. and, and Tortorella benched him that game where he wouldn't make an effort. But he said generally, like, he said, if you watch game two, and I kind of remember some of the plays he was talking about, like there was one play, I think it was in the first period, where Sherratt pinned Dubois near the boards, and, and Dubois couldn't do anything. And there was another play in the third period later in the game and uh, Edmondson pinned Dubois near the boards. And again, Dubois couldn't do anything. And, you know, he just said there's no logical explanation for this other than he has to be injured. And he, that's why he said he reached out because he wanted to know. He said he was 
he was dumbfounded watching the game to see that happening to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the Winnipeg team as a whole, you know, we talked about this and I asked a couple other people and they agreed. He thought that their best players in game two, the team was reeling. Um, Shifley suspended, DeMello hurt, Stasny hurt. And he felt that their best players were like, I can't do anything stupid. I can't take a penalty. I can't get uh, thrown out of the game or whatever. And because we're really reeling, I have to be smart. And it, and it completely screwed up their team. Like, you know, you can't. So instead of being careful, they absolutely were flat, non-energetic, no edge. And even though Montreal won the game one to nothing, you never felt like Montreal was threatened in that game. So you, so you, you can't play playoff games like that. You have to accept that mistakes are going to be made, but you're okay if they're made when, you know, you're trying to make a big play or there's a, it's a legit play. And he said in game two that the star Winnipeg players, the best Winnipeg players were completely mentally screwed up. And, you know, several people agreed with me on that. And the thing about Montreal right now is they have a formula. And their formula is we set up a fortress. It's impossible to get through with our disciplined forwards and very big defense. If you do get it through it, we've got Carey Price there. And if you give us an opportunity, we've got really talented scorers that are going to bury you. In game two, it was Tyler Toffoli. In game three, it, it happened again. And, you know, I just think Montreal has an identity now, and that's their identity, and they're sticking to it, and they're confident that they're going to win with that identity. Corey Perry, I want to talk about Corey Perry too. Someone told me that... You know, he had a great bubble last year, and Dallas was thinking, do we bring him back? And the issue kind of there was he's just not much of a regular season player anymore. And, like, I look at that guy. If he's a free agent again next year and I have a good team that I think I can make the playoffs without him, I'm going to get him. Because clearly now he doesn't have the gas for the whole regular season. But that guy, he has a playoff switch. He's like, give me this. I love this, and I need this. And I think he's a huge part of them. And I just think Montreal has found a winning formula here. That's their identity. They stick with it. And the Jets, like I think a lot of it's kind of between their ears right now. I think they're kind of screwed up a bit by the Shifley suspension, the injuries, and Montreal is just sucking the life right out of them. What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, to Corey Perry, uh, he's doing it all using Josh Anderson's stick, uh, which is yeah, a very ni- which is, which is a very nice touch. Well, first of all, I really do want to mention that Caulfield pass to Suzuki, which I just thought was gorgeous. How he found Suzuki's stick that fast, and to make that play, and for Suzuki to bury it as quick as he did, that was tremendous. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Stastny's 100%? No, not even close. Because we talked about Pierre-Luc Dubois as well. Like, and, and the Dylan DeMello situation is a tough one for the Winnipeg Jets as well. Like, At a certain point, you kind of say, like, man, like, we're not going into this one with, with any of our assets here. But you know what? Games like that, and I don't know how you are but with... that's Cro- the playoffs, man. No, no, I get all, I, no, 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 I, yeah. I get all that. I don't know how you are about crossbars. <laughs> And I yeah. try not to read too much into them, 
But when you see Ehlers hit one and you see Wheeler hit one, uh, as the Winnipeg Jets need something to get some type of momentum against the Montreal Canadiens, and you finally kind of put one past Carey Price, but technically it's not even a shot on net, that's tough. Yeah, brutal. That's really hard. And give it to Montreal, man. They are playing this thing beautifully. Like I said, they have an identity, they have a plan, and they stick with it. Well, a couple of things. Uh, the Dino block shot was huge oh. for them. And speaking of, of getting hurt, Jeff Petrie in the hand injury. Ugh. That's a bad one. So you sent me some video about your buddy Cameron Gauntz. What happened? Cameron Gauntz, when he's playing for the Ontario Reign this year in a game against San Diego, this would have been in March. So he got his hand caught as he was uh, exiting the zone um, by the glass where the door where the visitors come out is. So this is at the, uh, the Toyota Sports Center. Uh, where the rain played their home games this year. That's a practice rink for the, the the Kings and the rain. That's where they played their games, and you can see on the uh, on the video right away. It's like oof, that doesn't look good. And then he turns into the one-handed hockey player. So that's what I wonder about Petrie. Even if the injury is not significant enough to keep him out of the lineup, you know, you wonder about you know what's going to happen when he's got. Will he be able to shoot? Will he be able to? push players will he able to engage physically at all i'm not saying the injuries are the same they kind of look similar i just wonder what petrie's going to be like if he's able to go in the next game and what he's able to do and, and how he's limited now fingers crossed and he's totally fine uh just sort of jammed it and he's fine good to go on on monday so we'll see. So I have no idea, nor do any of us, what the extent of the injury was. But that guy's a hell of a defenseman. That guy's a big piece of that blue line. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is I wonder if it was the pinky. Because that's what it looked like. You, yeah. Could you just tape them together, right? But then you wonder, like, how does that affect your shot? How does that affect pushing players in front? But, you know, we all think that Weber's thumb is completely screwed up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have uh, we have photographs that indicate such. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> by the way, we were talking the other day. Like, if you're old enough to remember Petrie's dad is a really good pitcher for the Tigers. Tigers, yeah. They, they have turned into spitting images of each other. Jeff Petrie <laughs> now looks exactly like his dad did in, like, 1985. With the duster? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like clones of each other. Hell of a pitcher. That was a hell of a Tigers team. Oh, man, that was yeah. a great Tigers team. All right. Um, yeah, let's do a couple of sort of news bits here. And uh, we'll start at the World Hockey Championships. And we'll start with um, Gerard Gallant. And you mentioned this on the broadcast on Sunday with David. And, you know, it was a remarkable tournament for Canada. They lose their first three games and they come back and end up winning gold. And front and center is someone who's already interviewed with three NHL teams. Not that his resume needed to be fluffed at all, but this doesn't hurt. What happens when Gerard Gallant comes back from the World Championships? I think there's been a little bit of disrespect to Gerard Gallant. What he did in Vegas, I think it's been discounted a little bit, and I don't think that's fair. You know, Gerard Gallant is not like a guy who's an X's and O's master, but he gets people to play and he puts people around himself who can handle that stuff. 
but he convinces people that can play. He empowers them. Mm -hmm. This team is a perfect example. I mean, how many people in Canada stopped watching the tournament after the way it started? I bet you a lot. Yeah, of course. And then all of a sudden they come back and win just an incredible performance. Look, it's obvious that he has a great chance at the Ranger job. Like, I think he's been interviewed in Columbus, but I'm just not sure if Columbus is going to want, at this point in time, to go financially where Gallant could potentially go. And I just don't know if that this is the right time for Columbus to do that. Mm-hmm. Seattle, you know, Seattle's an interesting one. They've talked to him, but it was a while ago. Ron Francis, it's it's not been easy to figure out, aside from Rick Tockett, who Ron Francis is going for here, because I think he's done a lot of his interviews already. Like, I'll tell you, another guy who I think they've also talked to is someone who's on Team Canada's staff is Andre Tournier. Yeah, Ottawa, Ottawa 67's coach in the OHL, so everyone knows. Yeah, and he was with Team Canada, and he didn't, really worked this year obviously because there was no OHL so again it was a situation where I think Seattle had the opportunity to talk to him when not everybody could see it so it, it's tough to figure out what Seattle's doing but Gallant obviously is in for those three jobs and you know his, his stock clearly goes up after this it was it was a huge performance he has his longtime assistant Mike Kelly who was with him there at the Worlds Right now, the most important thing you have to do as a coach is empower your players. And if anybody has forgotten how well Gerard Gallant can empower his players, they were just reminded of it. You want to hear uh, one of my favorite small stories about exactly what you're talking about, about inspiring players? Sure. Up and down the bench. This is a player who had a cup of coffee with the Florida Panthers who told me he was on the bench and it's a tight game and he had just been called up and Gallant's coaching, and it's a third period. It's like a 2-1 to one or 3-2 to two game, and he knows there's not a chance he's going to hit the ice. So Gallant comes up to him on a TV timeout and says, you know what? If I was a better coach, I'd put you on the ice in this third period. The problem is I'm not that good of a coach. Hang in there, kid. <laughs> I think you've told that story once before. I think I know it's, who that's It's about. one of my favorite, because whenever I hear you talk about, like, okay, don't worry about the X's and O's, but inspire players. Mm-hmm. Remember this guy told me, he's like, look, he didn't have to come over and say anything to me. I didn't expect him to say anything to me. And he made me feel like a million bucks for not going out on the ice. <laughs> that's the kind of guy that Gerard Gallant is. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing a coach can do now is can you get guys to play for you? So, look, like everybody watches. It's like my old line, the right people are always watching, right? Yeah. Everybody was watching that. Okay, so is um is everybody watching Roberto Luongo now? You know, I, I think with Luongo, it's going to come down to when he really wants. Like, I think he's going about it the right way. He's working for a team. He's learning the business. I think for Luongo, it's going to come down to, you know, when is he ready to do it mm-hmm. when does he want to take over and become a gm i think the other thing with luongo anytime a family's involved right they florida just hired a new gm they had a really good season are you going to be in a situation where you have to go somewhere else and how interested is he going to be in that so i think these are all questions you know shane doan was another guy who's really involved was really involved in this uh shane doan is 
is back in Arizona. He's not running the hockey ops. Bill Armstrong is doing that. But is he eventually going to reach a point where he's going to want to run the hockey ops somewhere? Luongo, I think, is going to be a GM someday. I just think the, the question I have is, where does he want to do it? Is it? Does it have to be Florida? Or, you know, could it be somewhere else? I think that's kind of one of the questions I've always wondered with him. A couple of the names coming out of the World Hockey Championships. Uh, All-Star team... Detroit Red Wings fans continue to get excited at the play of Moritz Sider. Yeah, good player. Real good player, hard hitter. Uh, they're going to love him in Detroit uh, when he gets there. Andrew Mangiapane was outstanding MVP. Connor of the Brown. Entire tournament. Connor Brown and Nick Paul, two Ottawa Senators. Connor Brown had a, just a tremendous tournament and was yep. involved in that two-on-one. Most at the assists end. in 30 years. 14 of them, hey? Yep. How about that uh, for Connor Brown? Nick Paul. I mean, what a story he's been. Yep. You know, the other guy who stood out for me was Troy Stetcher. Yep. I wonder if Detroit's going to get calls on him. Well, th- there's a couple of guys. So it's always interesting coming out of the World, World Championships, too, like who sort of distinguishes themselves and who reenters conversations. Mangiapane had the great tournament. Yeah. One name I wanted to get to with you because there was some noise around him in advance of trade deadline. And that's Connor Garland. Yep. Who was named to the all-star team. Is there anything still there? Oh yeah. There, there's still a conversation. There's still going to be talks about that. I don't think it's a guarantee. He's going back to Arizona. How much do you think Arizona is clearing house? <sighs> you know, I think they'll, they'll consider a lot of things. Like the Ekman Larson thing is tough. They they tried this last year. He was only willing to go to two teams. You know, I, I still think if both sides were willing to work together on that, there could be something. But you know, it's tough contract to trade at this day and age, right? Absolutely. But I think there's a lot going on there. A couple of things before I wrap up a a quick car cast this week. Because we promised Amal we'd let him sleep on a Sunday. <laughs> Stanley Cup playoffs, both sides of the border. You shocked? No. I stopped being shocked after they got the quarantine from 14 days to seven right before the deadline. I said to someone at the league, you guys have good lobbyists. <laughs> so I'm not surprised about that one. By the way, I got to tell you, like these crowds in, in Vegas and the Islanders. 18,000 18, in Vegas. It's it's incredible to watch. It's it's so entertaining. In the commercial breaks tonight, like there was a crowd outside of the building in Montreal. Some people were sitting on the patio. Patio. There were a whole yeah. bunch of people sitting behind them. I was like, really? Like I, I just we haven't seen this. People want to gather. First of all, it's yeah, hockey hey, in Canada, arguing, and people and, and pe- people want to gather. It's a great story. People are in love with the Montreal Canadiens. Why not? It's just weird to see. It's just very, very weird to see. I can't wait for the day that it's not weird to see that. Um, you have a thought on the Boston Islanders series now wrapped up at twos. Matthew Barzell was outstanding on yes. Saturday night. You have a thought on uh, on that series? Well, I, I look at these series right now, and that one to me is too close to call. I have no clue as to as to who to pick yeah. a winner there in that series it's great hockey though really entertaining you know obviously we talked about colorado vegas i think the tampa carolina series has been really entertaining i gotta tell you i was shocked that the carolina guys did not pop off 
uh, at the refereeing after game four. Like, I wonder if there was, they all talked about it and said, we're not doing it because they were winning that game and it, and it turned around like the, the Tampa power play, it just Oof. kills you. Yeah. And it turned around on that and they had six penalties called against them. And, you know, Rod, Rod Brindamore has already kind of said it once and he's on double secret probation because he got fined in the bubble last year. I thought for sure he was going to come out firing. And I wonder if they just said, Look, you know, no, we're not doing it tonight. Uh, that was a game where Carolina was going pretty good. I mean, they were sitting there thinking, you know, maybe we can steal two on Tampa's home ice. And then the, the penalty onslaught and, and, and they got lit up. You cannot give that Tampa power play freebies. And they gave them more than one freebie. They fired the puck around. You know, they've always been, we've talked about this before. It's weird because I still see them making the extra pass, but now they convert. Yeah. Like I gave up saying this team passes too much because for the longest time, like they would make that one, maybe two extra passes and the play would die. And you just say, well, someone's got to shoot here. Doesn't it seem as if they're still doing it, but now they're converting? A hundred percent. Like it wasn't as if they said, we're, we're going to stop making you know the extra two or three passes. They haven't gone that route. They said, no, we're just gonna, we're going to do it, but now we're just going to polish it and make sure we score. Like to me, that's really impressive. I remember even asking John Cooper about this once might've been on this podcast. Uh, you know, has your team been guilty of the extra pass? Because when you're that talented, it's tempting because you can. And he said, absolutely. And I'm on the guys for, you know, like when you have the shot, take the shot. It's almost as if the players have said, nah, you know what? We're just going to get really, really good at doing this. It might take us a while, but wait till we get there because it's going to be impressive. And good on them. Most teams would have just said, yeah, you know what? When we have a chance for the shot, we'll take it. Okay, last question. Shoot. Nadelkovich or Morazic if you were Carolina? I would go back to Nadelkovich. I would too. I would go back to Alex Nadelkovich in this situation. Speaking of netminders, I want to conclude with a uh, a quick nod to Taya Curry, who becomes the first female player drafted in yes. the OHL. Great interview with Ryan. By the sarniest thing, absolutely, playing Elgin Middlesex. Congratulations to Taya. And you're right, that interview with Ron was fantastic. And listen, we all need a good news story, especially right now and in this sport. That is a good news story. Uh, congratulations to Taya Curry. Uh, and the Curry family, a very huge honor uh, for that young athlete. And uh, congratulations to the Sarnius thing. And we should also say congratulations to uh, uh, the Cortes. Rob Corte, one of yeah. our bosses. Yes. His son, Zach, was drafted by the Sioux Greyhounds. That's a good program. Like Kyle Raftus runs a really, really good program. And if you look at the number of players that they've... And not just players they've sent to the NHL because there are a lot of them, but mm-hmm. you know players that have gone on to play elsewhere at high levels in North America and in Europe as well. Like that's a that's a great program that Raftus runs, and I've always maintained. Well, you know, I gotta say he's done a great job because when he got it, it was in shambles. <laughs> Who was the guy that ran it before that other Kyle uh, guy? I don't think they like to talk about it up there. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they, they keep that one on the DL. I'll tell you what, man, I don't know how long Raft, we always talk about, okay, who's going to be, you know, taking that next step and et cetera. I don't know how long Raftus is for the OHL. I think when you look at, when you look at people that are ready to make the move to pro hockey at the, uh, the NHL or AHL level, 
I mean, we had this conversation a couple of years ago and I mentioned Raftis. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all if Raftis, I mean, that program that he's put together in Sioux is fantastic, but we'll see. And yes, congratulations to Zach Corte, whose son, a uh, wonderfully gifted player, plays with Ajax Pickering. Yep. The Raiders. A little bit south of uh, your buddy Jeff here, Elliot Friedman, playing the OMHA, uh, where my kids play. And on that, we'll wrap it up. Any final thoughts from a Sunday evening car cast, Elliot, outside of the uh, those damn noisy kids driving in the car beside you? No, no, all good. I think business is going to start to pick up uh, around the league mm-hmm. over the next uh, couple weeks or so. Uh, I think you're going to start to see some teams look at some contracts. I think you're going to start to see some teams start talking about players. I think business is going to pick up the next couple weeks. And do we think that due to the cap situation in the NHL, some high-profile players, and we saw some of this last year, will not be qualified again? I, I think it's possible, yes. And that's the podcast uh, for this Sunday slash Monday. Uh, thanks, as always, for uh, for joining us here on the pod. Uh, we have a bonus podcast coming out on Wednesday, an interview we did uh, late last week that I think you'll very much enjoy. So uh, look forward to that one uh, sometime on Wednesday. Meanwhile, taking us out, Punk Band uh, from North London, who moves oh, freely between band. the lines. Wow. I know, you'll love this one. Uh, moving freely between the lines of simplicity and experimentation, distorting and interweaving musical styles into a uniquely warped musical experience, the Conspirators recently released their debut three-track EP, and from that record, here's their latest single, Fear by the Conspirators. 31 Thoughts, the podcast.